What's up, Mortgage Pros? It's Austin Nemec. Welcome to the Stronger Together podcast. Today, we have an awesome guest, NFL quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. He's an early MVP frontrunner, Mr. Kirk Cousins. Now, listen, a lot of times when you think about professional athletes, you think of crazy speed, incredible size, athleticism. But Kirk Cousins is known as a guy that out performs his potential. He's an overachiever. And whether you're a loan officer, a broker owner, someone new to the industry, this podcast shows that. He talks about how to be a great communicator, how to show up and be a professional. I highly suggest you listen. I mean, this is a guy that's humble. It's a great communicator, but man, hang on to every word. There's a lot of relevant takeaways you can inject in your business. But before we get into that, I want to tell a story. So the podcast you're going to be listening to is an interview I had with Kurt a few months ago um, in front of all of our account executives and some of our partners. And Kirk was in town for, um, he was getting his honorary doctorate degree at Michigan State University. And then later that night, he was thrown out the first pitch at the Detroit Tigers game. And then he was going to speak to us in the morning. And he's doing it pro bono for us. He's a friend of the company. But his agent reached out to me and said, hey, Kirk would love to meet you at the Tigers game uh, and learn a little bit about your business. And I said, hey, you know what? No big deal. I know he's with his family. He's in town for a short period of time. Don't worry about it. I'll catch up with him before the speech. I don't want to be a bother. It's all good. And his agent reached back out and said, I just talked to Kirk. It's very important that he meets you before speaking. Please show up. So I did. I got to the suite. He was there with his kids were running around, his wife, his parents, his childhood friends. Came up, shook my hand. We sat down. And for nearly an hour... Kirk asked me question after question after question about our business, about our industry, about our culture, our vision, our goals, our competitors, what these partners and account executives want to hear. And he took notes and he took this thing so seriously that I was blown away. This is a guy that's got a lot on his plate, NFL quarterback foundation, and it was that important to him that he was ultra prepared to deliver the best message. It motivated and inspired the hell out of me. And I tell you that because there's a lot of things that we do as business pros on a daily basis. And sometimes, especially in sales, when you're a great communicator, it can be easy to just show up and wing it. But the difference between winning and losing is so damn small. It's inches that sometimes the difference, most of the time, almost all the time, the difference is the one who is more prepared and takes things more seriously wins, period. And Kirk Cousins is a great example of that. So hopefully you enjoy this interview, this podcast. Um, we're excited to deliver it to you. Thanks for all you guys do. So we talk a lot about winning. We talk a lot about execution. We talk a lot about pressure. We talk a lot about growth. And this gentleman who's going to get on stage um, is going to certainly be able to talk about all those things. So this man is a Michigander. Grew up on the west side of the state, went to Holland Christian, and was a good high school football player. This man was a two-star recruit, two out of five-star recruit, meaning he had a couple offers to play college football. 
ended up at the very last second, I think somebody dropped out at Michigan State and he was offered a scholarship to go play uh, and be a Spartan. So he came in and very, very quickly changed the entire culture of what we now know as a powerhouse football program in the United States of America, MSU. Go green. All right. So this guy came in, and Michigan State, again, wasn't, uh, wasn't a powerhouse, respectable program, right? Came in and played very, very early, took the Spartans to two Big Ten championships, uh, was an undefeated 4-0 against the University of Michigan in an era where the Spartans hadn't beat the Wolverines in six years. Changed the game at, at Michigan State. But once again, just like high school, Going into the NFL draft, he was a fourth-round pick. In fact, the Redskins drafted him to be the backup for Robert Griffin III, who was, I believe, a Heisman Trophy winner that year. So um, just like college, he didn't let that stop. In a few years, he won over the starting position over Robert Griffin III and set six franchise records at the Redskins. Did so well that he was picked up by the Minnesota Vikings and became the highest paid football player in the history of the world. Signed the highest contract in the history of the United States of America. This guy's not only an awesome football player, a captain, he's a great human being. If anyone knows about Kirk Cousins, he is a great human being. That's him, his family, he has two young sons. I believe his wife is here as well. They run the Kirk and Julie a foundation as well. So this guy, great human being, great football player, great leader. Give it up for Kirk Cousins. I'm sure we got some Spartans in the crowd, but I'm sure we got some Wolverines too, which is okay. So, Should we try happens. it? Should we see what happens? Let's try it. Go green. Go green. Now, go blue. Go blue. Go blue. Oh, no. I love it. I think the Spartans won that one. So listen, all that stuff, you're a doctor now. Do I call you Dr. Kirk? You know what? There's some revisionist history there. I didn't go 4-0 against Michigan. First of all, my first year I was redshirting, we lost. But because I redshirted, I guess that gets forgotten. And then my second year, we won, but I didn't play. So, but somehow I get credited with that one. So, leadership. I'm, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. It sounds better to just say 4-0, but I was really 3-0, and then I, I watched one from the bench that we won and one from the bench that we lost. But uh, same thing with the doctorate degree. I was given an honorary doctorate yesterday at Michigan State. I don't know what that means, but I'll take it. It sounds good, you had and it looks good on the wall. on the whole thing. <laughs> on your Instagram. Yeah. So, listen. These are all salespeople. They're highly competitive people. Yeah. And um, I'm blessed to work with these guys every day. And what's cool, and I think the, the, the most satisfying part of being a leader, and I think all our leaders can attest to this, is when a salesperson outworks their potential. And what's tough is when you see a salesperson that's not living up to their potential. Sure. And I think you're a guy that literally defines out-earning their potential. Like every step of the way, it's, oh, you know, two-star. And yeah. then ah, fourth round. And then all of a sudden, um, I mean, you're 
every step of the way, you've created history. So like, what is it about you? Is there something specific you, advice you can give these guys of just how to completely sure. outwork your potential? Well, something I've always looked to do on the football field is, and I said this yesterday at the MSU graduation because I believe in it so much, and it's not rocket science. It makes sense when you say it, but it, it sometimes goes against our nature, and it's we ought to not just deliver whatever we're asked to do. We ought to over-deliver. Yeah. And so to, for me to make it in football, especially when you're coming in as one of the lower-ranked recruits on the team or you're uh, drafted as a fourth-round pick, if I ever want to get to where I want to go, which typically requires being the five-star recruit or the first-round pick, I wasn't going to be able to just deliver. I was going to have to over-deliver. And so if I was asked to do A and B, I needed to do A and B, but I also need to think about how I, could I do C and D as well. And, uh, and I think that's something anybody in any field can think about creatively. And I think when you start to do that, because the majority of people aren't, when you start to say, well, how could I do C and D as well, uh, you stand out and you start to separate yourself and, and, and the people who are above you start to take notice to say that that guy or gal is, is going places because they're thinking outside the box, they're a step ahead. And, uh, and so I always say in this situation, how can I not just deliver? How can I over deliver? And that doesn't mean you, you're a suck up. You know, I don't, I don't want to be that either. But, uh, but just, you know, tastefully understanding how can, I, how can I do something that maybe takes it a step further. Hard work, discipline, going above and beyond. Yeah. And so much of the time, you know, in football, I found that evaluators, uh, they evaluate on your production. So when I was being recruited, they looked, they looked at what I had done in high school to see what I would do in college. And then the pros looked at your production in college to see what you would do in the pros. And this is really how we do it in the business world. But the people who are really good evaluators and really, really think beyond, they aren't just evaluating you on your production. They're evaluating you on your potential. Okay, so Mike Shanahan, who drafted me in the fourth round, and everyone said he was crazy to pick me because they already had drafted a quarterback in the first round. Mike wasn't just looking at my production, which when I went to the combine wasn't all that impressive. I ran a 4.940, which there were offensive linemen running 4.940s. But Mike, Mike had interviewed me and had watched an interview of mine and had gotten to know me as a person. And he said, I'm not so much interested in his production because his college production, the day I draft him, is irrelevant. It's over. What I need to evaluate is his potential. Where could he go from here? And regardless of his production, if he has potential to go higher than someone who has more production in the past, then that's the guy I want. And so I think we as evaluators ought to be evaluating for potential, not just for production. And to the degree that I've been able to have success, it's because somebody, whether it be Mark D'Antonio or Mike Shanahan or Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, they've evaluated me on my potential, not just on my production. It's good. So as a sales professional, we're busy, right? We work hard and um, but then I look at you, a guy like you, you're a captain of a football team, um, you're a father, you run a foundation, you're sitting here on a Saturday with us, right? Yeah. I met you last night, you were shaking, like, did you throw a strike, by the way? The first it was a little high. A little high? A little high, yeah. We had good pace on it. All right. It was a little high. Good speed. <laughs> so you're all over the place, man. How do you, uh, you, you heard the term like work, life balance and things yeah. like that. Like, how do you manage everything and be able to keep your head on Yeah, straight? that's a great question. It's tough because there are moments in life where I do realize that at times the competition has chosen to have a work-life balance that heavily favors work so much so that maybe the, the, the family side or other parts of their life are out of whack. 
and, and it can be a little dysfunctional. And when you realize that, you say, okay, uh, I'm not willing to sacrifice, a, um, give up a, a family situation. I'm not, I'm not okay with having a dysfunctional family in order to be successful at work. At the end of the day, if, if I've won a Super Bowl and everyone in Minnesota is patting me on the back for the rest of my life, but I don't have a good relationship with my kids or with my wife, I failed. And so I think you can have both. I do believe that. But ultimately, um, I have to understand what is ultimately most important to me someday when I'm sitting at Thanksgiving dinner in my 70s, what's going to really matter? And what am I willing to sacrifice or not willing to sacrifice to make sure that that Thanksgiving meal in my 70s is a healthy, a healthy thing? So uh, I think there's a way to be creative and to say, hey, uh, Quicken Loans has given me a great opportunity to be here today, uh, but my wife and my two-month-old son are coming with and we're gonna do this together and we're gonna have this experience and make memories together. And I think there's ways to be creative to try to find that balance, but still be able to say yes to a lot of great things. Believe me, we say no to some things at times too, and that's an ongoing discussion with my wife, but uh, we try to do as much as we can because it's a very unique platform for a very short window of time. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of quarterbacks playing in their 50s. So uh, I wanna maximize the, the window while I have it. And, uh, and my wife understands that, but uh, believe me, we. We have priorities that go beyond just football that we have to, 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 to manage. And uh, there are some people who are willing to give up, you know, the Thanksgiving meal in their 70s to be that great at work. And I say, that, that's fine. You know, that's your choice. That's just something I draw a line in the sand. I'm not, I'm not going to do. Yeah. You know, our former CEO, Bill Emerson, also, had, he played at Penn State. But he told me early in my career, he said, listen, there's, you don't need to separate work in life, it's all one. Right. Involve your family in work. Yeah. Talk about work. Bring them to things like your wife right. and your kids are here today. Yeah, I remember talking to Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach at Northwestern, one time when I saw him in the airport, and I was I was finishing up my senior year of college, and I said to him, you know, you're a pretty sharp guy, and uh, and you've been in coaching now for many years. Uh, how does that work with your family? You've got young kids, and he said, well, you know, a lot of times uh, our family time is is had at the office. Yeah. You know, they come to practice, and they're there in my office after practice when I'm there late at night, and you know, I, I'm just not at home, but we bring home to work and it, and it works and I'm able to spend a lot of time with my kids and it's different, but I think you can be creative to try to find ways, you know, to be highly successful at what you do and also um, still have that time spent, quality time spent with family. I don't claim, you know, when I come here to a, to a conference for, uh, to, talk, to talk sales, I don't claim to understand sales, okay? I haven't lived in that world, so I have to put the disclaimer out there that there are parallels to, to sports at a high level and what you all are doing in business, but I don't claim to, to know it all. Uh, that being said, when it comes to sports and business, there is a similar theme amongst competition. Uh, you gotta win. And uh, I wouldn't be where I am if we didn't win at Michigan State and if we didn't win with the Redskins. You have to win and you have to win in business. And uh, what I've come to learn, not only in sports but in business, is that when you win, people grow. And people, uh, their lives move to an altitude that otherwise would not be possible. And so. One of the best ways to serve other people and to bless their lives is to win for them and with them. And when you find ways to win, uh, I don't view it so much as I'm trampling the competition. I view it as I am elevating the lives of the people that I'm winning alongside. Yeah. And that's what I make it about. And so uh, I really believe in that. And um, um, competition is a very real thing. And it's a part of of society, and, and as Coach D'Antonio said, when I was in some intense competitions in college, I didn't even know if I would ever play because the, the first person I was competing with was Nick Foles, who's now a Super Bowl MVP. And then after that, Keith Nickel, who arguably was, was a tougher competition than the one even with Nick Foles. That's how good Keith was. And 
when I look back now and had that competition every day and it was a grind every day to get up, but I knew I, if I wasn't better than that guy across the, the locker room from me, I wasn't going to ever play. Uh, and I would kind of vent that to Coach D'Antonio, how tough this was. He would say, Kirk, competition brings out the best in you. It's going to force you to go to a place within yourself that you didn't know you could go to. And I look back now and I say, that was the best thing for me. As hard as it was in the moment and as much tension as it created in my life, I look back now and realize all the great things that have come since that were mentioned in that PowerPoint um, has a res become a result of that competition or those competitions. So uh, as much as we wish it was easy street, we wish we were the only one out there doing the, doing the job, having that competitor is going to elevate your game uh, and I think enable you uh, to, to go to a whole new level and bring people along with you. And that's a good thing. I think it's going to help this city, help this state, help this country uh, achieve things that uh, I think to this point people didn't think were possible. That's great. <clears throat> we're going to throw it out to questions in a minute. I have one more for you. Um, you know, we're growing. And when Which you, is outstanding. Yeah. I mean, uh, the growth is, as uh, when I read Phil Knight's book, the founder of Nike, I mean, he made it clear, you're either growing or you're dying. Yeah. And, uh, and to be growing is just outstanding. Yeah. It's good. It's awesome. It's, it's really cool to be a part of. With growth, it's, it's unique. So when you look around, we have some folks out here that have been with the company for nine, 10 years. Veterans. I mean, they know they're pros. And then we have a lot of folks out here that are rookies. Like they literally just started. Um, 50, 60, 70. Raise your hand if you've been here more than five years. Hold on. QLMS for five years. Don't cheat. Wow. Okay. Now watch this. Raise your hand. I know we can't see anything, by the way, but no, all these yeah. lights. Raise your hand if you've been with QLMS for under one year. Wow. Yeah. A lot of rookies. Now, I know in an NFL locker room, you have, you know, Newsom. He was, what, 40 years old? Yeah. yeah. A pro, maybe yeah. a Hall of Famer. And then you have these young 20-year-olds yeah. come in. And like you said, winning and teamwork <laughs> is everything. Without it, what are you doing? But it's, it's a dynamic, right? Yeah. You have some experienced folks and some rookies. How do you handle that? And you're leading this locker room. Yeah. How do you guys work together with that experience? Well, while I'm here today, we have what's called rookie mini camp across the NFL this weekend. And each team brings in 60 rookies. They'll probably keep 10, but they bring in 60 for a tryout over, over a three-day weekend. They have them practice several times, and they, they sign a few of those guys. Adam Thielen, our star receiver, uh, CJ Ham, our fullback, were, were signed off of those rookie mini camps. But they bring in 60. We already have 70 on our roster. They bring in 60 for a tryout, keep about 10. Then you have another 10 who are draft picks to make a 90-man roster, which then they cut down at the end of August to 53. And then only 46 of those people actually dress for the first game. And so you want to talk about competition. They're bringing in 130-plus initially to find 46. And this is every single year. So there's a lot of turnover and because of the nature of NFL football, as you get older, you, you have a declining skill set. And so they're always looking for a younger, better player. And quite frankly, Michigan State was no different. As my roommate said to me, Kurt, every single year, they're going to try to find a five-star quarterback they can bring in who's better than you. And that's just the way it is. Get used to it. Don't complain. Find a way to be better than that guy they bring in. And so it's highly competitive. But uh, as I look back, I see that... Uh, it's so important to just continue to deal with that turnover and understand that change is inevitable. It's a part of life. Uh, we hired Gary Kubiak to be an offensive consultant this, this year coming forward. He's been a part of six Super Bowls. He won a Super Bowl as a head coach in 2015 with Peyton Manning. And Gary's come in and he's watched some of my tape and looked at 
little footwork things that I'm doing that I've done for years in the way I've played. And he wants to change him. And I'm thinking, boy, Gary, you know, I've had a lot of success doing it a certain way. Uh, it would be uncomfortable to have to change that. You know, I'd have to kind of go back to being a rookie for a few weeks to learn how to undo that and do it a different way. I don't know that I want to do that. That's uncomfortable. But you know what I say back to him? Yes, sir. You know, I'll do it. You know, if you say it's a better way to play, a better footwork to use, as much as there's going to be some growing pains, I'll find a way to do it because at the end of the day, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. Thus far, I haven't really come as close as I want to come. I'll do what I got to do. And so uh, to some degree, I have to be willing to adapt and be willing to change as new coaches come in and a new playbook has to be learned. And it's uncomfortable and I don't love doing it, but it's a part of life. And it's the best way for me to have a chance to stay in the NFL and keep cleats on my feet is to be always willing to adapt and keep up with the changing times. I'm glad you're talking about this. So, let's, so you've been in the NFL how long? I'm coming up on my eighth year. And how many different offensive coordinators did you play for? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> I've played with four in four years. Yeah. So in 2016, I had Sean McVay. And, and as the NFL works, if you have success, usually that means you have to start over because that offensive coordinator left to become a head coach. He's done okay for He's himself. He's done pretty well for himself. And then 2017, uh, Matt Cavanaugh was the offensive coordinator and Jay Gruden called a lot of the plays. And then 2018 came to the Vikings with John Filippo, and then we didn't have enough success. And so he was let go, which then means you have to start over again with a new coordinator. So four co coordinators in four years requires a lot of learning, a lot of fresh starts. And, you know, there's no doubt that to have success in the NFL, continuity and consistency is important and yeah. you want that. But for most of us, that's a dream, not a reality. And we have to be able to operate at a high level within the reality, which is a lot of change. And so, believe me, nobody's going to be giving me a, a free pass this fall if I don't play well and then go to the media after the game and say, well, it's my fourth system in four years, so cut me some slack. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You either get the job done or you don't. It's a results-based business, as we all know. So uh, you got to deliver no matter what the, the climate around you and find a way. And as I study people who have been successful in business and, and kind of follow their careers, you realize... All of them at times were thrown a tough lot and they had to find a way to make it work and figure it out and, and no excuses, just results. That's good. All right, what questions do we have for Kerr? All right, our offensive coordinator went to Penn. So, uh, And I was actually, when I wasn't getting any scholarship offers, I thought, well, maybe I'll just go to the Ivy League. You know, I've, I've been a good student, so maybe I'll go that route. So I went out and visited Princeton. And, uh, and then when I got back, I said, well, let's see what Michigan State has to offer. And I guess it all worked out. But uh, uh, yeah, we drafted a first-round center, which should be a huge help. He seems like the real deal, and it'll be important for me, uh, being that he'll be a rookie, playing a very important position at center, making a lot of calls and kind of having to be the quarterback of the offensive line, for me to help get him caught up to speed in a short amount of time and to be a coach on the field a little bit and, and take ownership and to say, it's, okay, it's not just going to be on the coaches to get him ready. I've got to take ownership also to get him ready and get him to where he needs to be, along with some of the other players like the tight end you mentioned who we drafted. Got to get these guys going. Got to get them ready to go at a, at a high level right away. And so I'm watching the draft. And the second we pick either of those guys, I text somebody at the facility and say, get me that guy's number. I want to reach out to him right away and let him know I'm here and available and connect. And I think building that relationship from day one really helps. And then uh, um, the, the, the tough part of coming back to the Midwest and playing for the Vikings was I had to be in the NFC North. And it, as much as I love coming back to Detroit every year because I feel like I'm coming home, and it is fun to look up in the stands as I'm warming up and see Michigan State jerseys and signs that say, you know, welcome home. Uh, Plus you get to win every time you come. <laughs> <laughs> it is tough nice. to, uh, 
to, to have to go against the team from my home state. So I guess that's part of the deal. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I have respect for Matthew Stafford and, and what he's done and, and the production he's had. But, uh, yeah, if I want to get to where I want to go, we got to find a way to beat them. Yep. And, uh, you know, in the NFC North is tough. Chicago getting Khalil Mack. Boy, they were a different team last year. Their defense is the real deal. I grew up in Chicago originally before moving to Michigan, so I was a Bear fan growing up. And then uh, as long as Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay, it's going to be tough. So um, we'll have some good battles here through the years going forward, I think, with all three of those teams, and it should be a lot of fun. That's good. What else? Yes, in the back. Yeah, so the Julie and Kirk Cousins Foundation, we just started this past year. Um, you know, and really the focus for us is uh, we want to be stewards of what God has given us, and we want to steward it properly. We believe, you know, not to be too morbid, but the current death rate's 100%, okay? <laughs> and, and when we die, we believe we're going to have to give an account for what we did with what we were given. And to this point, we've been given a lot. We've been given far more than I ever thought was possible. And, and the game of football really has given me far more than I ever thought was possible. And so we want to steward that well and get to the end of our life and feel like uh, we didn't self-indulge, but that we uh, use that uh, to make a difference in the lives of other people. And, um, you know, we tried to find local ministries there in, in, in Minnesota that are making a difference and having an impact, specifically one called Urban Homeworks that's uh, helping people with, with affordable housing within the city of Minneapolis. Um, and then we've also looked at more at a, a, a local level in our hometown. There's a ministry there that works with kids of uh, disability, special needs that uh, uh, we've enjoyed partnering with and being able to help support financially. And then uh, we look at a global level, you know, with a, with a group uh, based out of Washington, D.C. called International Justice Mission, which focuses on uh, rescuing people who have been caught in slavery around the world, who are in uh, caught up in sex trafficking. Uh, there are many, many countries that we've learned um, they don't even have the law enforcement to be able to enforce the laws that they've created. So the entire system is broken. So they may have a law that says you can't do such and such, but there's no system in place to enforce it. And so people just do whatever they want. And there's complete impunity. And so we try to help create a, a, a justice system that can help enforce these laws to protect people who really can't defend themselves. And so that's something we're trying to do on a global level as well. And we keep our, our ear to the ground and, and learning about other organizations that are having impact. And, and we get a lot of requests and we try to you know, sift through them to find good ones. And then when we do find them, you know, get behind them and provide financial support and use our platform as football players to try to shine a light on the work they're doing to hopefully get more people to partner with them. Yeah, what's most impressive reading up about the foundation that you and your wife put together, Julie. And you know, what's impressive about you guys is, is the level of gratitude. You know, when I yep. work with successful business people, salespeople, I, the co one commonality I always find is they're grateful, hmm. right? They realize that there's more to their success than just themselves. They're blessed, you know, whether it's religious or not, whatever you right. it's just being grateful for, uh, it's, it's an awesome trait to have. Oh, absolutely. Um, everyone can learn from it. You know, football is the ultimate team game. And so uh, it's tough when you, when you struggle as a quarterback because you're going to get all the blame. But you know that, boy, I am so dependent on the people around me. But then also when you have success, I get far more credit than I ever should deserve uh, because I am so dependent on the people around me. And when I have great success, it's because I was given time to throw by the offensive line. It's because someone, a receiver, got open. It's because a coach designed a play when I wasn't even in the building that works well. And then it's because a running back or an offensive line gets a running game going, which takes pressure off of me. And I've learned that um, when those pieces aren't working for me, I'm very, very average to below average. 
but when those pieces are working for me, uh, that's when I can have great success. And so you have to recognize that both in the, in the bad times to say, hey, I'm not going to put it all on myself. I'm going to understand that it is a team game and uh, go in there with a smile on my face, ready to keep working. But then also when you have great success to say, you know, uh, as much as I'd love to take all the credit, uh, I'm just a product of the people around me and I'm a reflection of the team. And, and so it's so important to find good people because if you are dependent on the people around you, you need to get in the boat with good people. And so that's why a draft is so important to get those guys in here and then to develop them because ultimately you win with people. Coach D'Antonio would always say that. We can have a great plan, a great scheme, but ultimately you win with people. If we have better people than the competition, time over time, we're going to win. So question, um, you're spot on. I'm reading a book. It's about you have to get the right people on the bus to win. It's, it's about you have to start with people. Um, you play with a lot of great NFL players, great teammates, I assume. What are some of the commonalities between, like, when you're in a locker room, like, damn, that guy is a yeah. winner. He's a great person. Maybe it's not yeah. the talent. Right. What, define a great teammate in your eyes. Well, when I was with the Redskins, I came in early. And I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know, I get in early. I'm not trying to cut corners. But I also believe that sleep is important as a professional athlete. So I try to get nine hours a night. And I'm getting into work at, you know, 6.30 in the morning. But there are some warriors who get in there even earlier. And, uh, and I'm getting in at 6.30 one morning, and there's an offensive lineman there who was in at 6. And I look at him across the locker room. I say, boy, Sean, you're here early, man. And he looked at me. He's a veteran, a couple years older than me. And he said, not a hobby, Kirk, not a hobby. And uh, a phrase that we use around the building, a phrase we use around the building is three words, be a pro, be a pro. And, uh, and so when you see a guy show up early, we look at each other, we say, he's being a pro. Uh, after practice, a guy who stays extra to be in the cold tub to take care of his body or spends extra money outside of the facility to get the right person working on his body so he can stay healthy for the team, or a guy who goes to the film room after hours to study extra film, we say he's being a pro. And, uh, and so another three words, you know, not a hobby. Yeah. And uh, we go into work and say, look, this isn't a hobby. You know? and, there, and unfortunately, there are some young players who come in and they think it's a hobby. You know, For them, it was a game when they were playing on the playground as a kid and they've never really... Uh, been able to get past that. And at, at the professional level, you got to be a pro. Yeah. And I think the same is true in business. Um, this isn't a hobby. Uh, let's be a pro. And when you do that, uh, usually good things happen. That's great. <clears throat> Not a hobby. Be a pro. Right here. What else? Hey, Kirk. I'm a big Michigan State fan, big uh, fan of yours as well. Awesome. Um, just for, for us, can you uh, say that big, uh, that catch, your famous catchphrase that happened uh, three years ago? Yeah, I finished. Really, really loud? I can. You like that. <laughs> I, finished my, uh, I finished my remarks at Michigan State yesterday talking about how, um, you know, one of my regrets at Michigan State, I have very few regrets, but my, my biggest regret would be that I didn't enjoy the journey enough. I was, as I said, I was so focused on getting to a Rose Bowl that I didn't just stop and smell the roses along the way to get there. And uh, that was my regret. And it still is something that I fight every day is to just enjoy the journey, enjoy the process, not just the product. And I said, uh, you know, to quote The Office, one of the lines from Andy Bernard in the last episode of The Office, he says, as he looks back on the years of the show, he says, I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you've actually left them. And, uh, and I, I feel that way about my time at Michigan State. I wish there was a way to have known that I was in the good old days before I had already left. And, and then I said to them, I said, you know, if you do these things I just talked about, uh, chances are you're going to have a good life and you're maybe even going to have a good enough life to look at someone, someone someday and shout, 
you like that. <laughs> so that's the goal. <clears throat> Good. What other questions? Yes. That's a great question. That is the key to pro football because you have a salary cap. Okay, so even if your owner wants to spend more money to bring in more talent and isn't concerned about financially maybe losing a little bit, you're not allowed to. You can only spend a certain amount of money and, and so you're limited. And inevitably, you're going to end up having to find players who everyone else didn't value and you're going to have to raise their level of play and develop them such that you're getting a greater return out of them than other people thought. So developing a young player, developing a player that people didn't believe in is a huge part to having success. And you see this with the New England Patriots year after year, the number of undrafted players they have or players that no one heard of who are emerging to be all-star players in the league. Um, and so this is a big challenge for us. And, uh, you know, for so long, I always felt that my leadership style, going back to Michigan State, had to be one of encouragement because these coaches so often are, are, are just beating up the player and challenging him and, and, and cutting him down and just telling him all the things he's not doing right that I felt I had to be the, the opposite of that. I had to go alongside the player and encourage him and tell him all the things he's doing well and the potential that he has and show him where he can, where he can get to and kind of light a fire under him. And at one point I thought, you know, am I just kind of being good cop, bad cop here where I'm just the good cop and I'm not really ever able to bring the other side. But as I look more at it, I realized that people respond to encouragement. People respond to you telling them, you know, right now you're here. There's no reason you can't be here. Let me help you get there. People respond to that. They say, this guy's in my corner. This guy's going places. Let me get in, in the boat with him because he's going to take me where I want to go. I really believe that leadership at the end of the day is influence. And you have influence on somebody when you communicate a message to them that says, I know where you want to go. Not where I want to go. I know where you want to go. And I know how to get there. And you can't get there on your own. That's leadership. You know, people will follow somebody when they say, you know, I want to go somewhere in life. And if I get in with that, man or woman, if I, if I get with them, they're going to take me there. That's leadership. And too many times leaders use people to get to where they want to go. And, and that's not leadership. That's not leadership. People don't follow that. You know, that's a dictatorship. And uh, people will follow it unwillingly, but to willingly get people to follow you, you need to communicate to them and, and look at them and say, where do they want to go? And let me help them get there. And frankly, if, if they knew how to get there, they wouldn't need a leader reason they need a leader is because they don't know how to get there. They want to get there. They don't know how to get there. So I've always said, you know, to teammates, I've looked and said, where do they want to go someday? A second contract, uh, you know, the chance to be a starter. Uh, what are their dreams and goals? And now let me invest in their lives such, so that they get there someday. And if you do that and then you watch them get there, not only are you being a leader, but it's very rewarding to look at teammates and say, wow, look at where they've gotten in life uh, as a result of the impact, you know, we had on them as a leader. That's awesome. To me, we always say communication. I mean, everything you have or don't have in this life is based off of great communication yeah. or the lack thereof. So you're talking about communication on a high level, like painting vision and, and <coughs> helping people exceed their potential. Talk about communication in a stressful time because yeah. you are leading a team on national TV, millions of people watching. Um, like, how do you specifically communicate in a time of pressure? Yeah. Well, a funny moment from a game last year regarding communication, we're playing on a Thursday night national TV against the LA Rams who went on to the Super Bowl last year. It's week four, so early in the year, and we go out to LA, and it's a short week of preparation, so you're trying to cram what would normally be a six-day prep week into only about two and a half days. 
And uh, we get down and we score early in the game. And the nature of the NFL, the quarterback, is that you have a, a walkie-talkie of sorts in your helmet. So the, the, the coach will call the play from the sidelines and it's wirelessly communicated into an earpiece in your helmet that you can hear. So in college, they don't have that, so they have to use hand signals so that the quarterback isn't running to the sideline every single play to get the play. But in the pros, you don't have to use the hand signals because they're literally talking to you. Well, they have a 40-second play clock, so from when the, the play ends, you have 40 seconds to snap the next play. So you're on a time crunch. And what they do is they cut out that walkie-talkie at 15 seconds left, so, such that a, uh, a coach can't just be telling the quarterback what to do while he's at the line of scrimmage. Now, some teams have gone no huddle and tried to get to the line of scrimmage with 30 seconds left so that the coach can tell the quarterback what to do. But either way, at 15 seconds, it's gonna cut out. Well, after we scored, there was some discussion on the sidelines as to do we kick an extra point or do we go for two? Well, that discussion took long enough such that the play clock was winding down. And so the coach ends up deciding to go for two and he calls the play with about 17, 16 seconds left. Well, then I hear the static cut out on the walkie-talkie and I realize I got 15 seconds left and I didn't get a play. So this is a, this is a problem. And this is a big play. I mean, we're going to have points here whether or not we get it. So I walk into the huddle and I look at one of our smarter players, Kyle Rudolph, a tight end, and I said, well, Kyle, what's our best two-point conversion play? Because I don't know what to do here. And I'm, I'm blanking. You know, the, and sometimes the panic, right, of the 15 seconds makes something that you had studied and you do remember, makes you start to forget. And so I leaned down the rest of the huddle. I said, at the risk of sounding like, I don't know what I'm doing, guys. I, I need your help here. What's our best play? And Kyle said, run, you know, run the bootleg, you know, with the running back out to the flat. I said, okay, I forget what we called it, but uh, the bootleg with the running back out to the flat. <laughs> On one, ready, break. So we sprint up to the line of scrimmage. You know, I'm seeing on the clock in the Coliseum, you know, five, four, three. You know, we go, what, 80, what is that? We snap the ball and it's here goes nothing. And sure enough, the back was open in the flat and we hit it and we run to the sidelines and we kind of, whew, dodged the bullet there. But obviously it was a major breakdown in communication. And then because of that, somebody somewhere in the line had to pick up the slack and say, hey, we just had a breakdown, a screw up on the sidelines that whether or not the coaches admit it, they screwed up. It took way too long to get the play in. That's their fault. Uh, but we got to fix it. You know, we got to fix it for them. We got to have smart players here. What's our best play? And, uh, and so we figured it out and got the job done. And, you know, it helps to be lucky too. But, uh, but we had that, that, that communication issue that happens all the time. But I will say, you know, I'm learning in life, as you just mentioned, the, the importance of communication. And I would say that I'm, I'm not great at this. I'm working on this. You know, there are too many times where I assume people know what needs to be done. I assume, well, they must get it. You know, I understand it, so they must understand it. But that usually isn't the case. Yeah. And uh, last year when we went to play the Packers in Lambeau Field, you know, a loud environment, tough place to win. Our coach said one of the goals in the game as we sat at the, the, the meeting the night before, kind of the strategy meeting to talk about what we had to do the next day at Lambeau Field, he said, guys, I want a disgusting amount of communication. That's what he called it. I want so much communication to be going on that it's disgusting. And so we kind of over-communicate because we can't, we can't afford to assume that someone gets it. And so if I call play and I don't know if the guy heard me, I just over-communicate and I say, you may be disgusted by the fact that I'm doing this, but I'm gonna do it to make sure that we're all on the same page. So that's something I'm learning to do better and better. It's good, we, have, so we deal with partners and you know, communication's everything and there's competitors communicating with them. So we say like, we have marketing of course, but you can't assume they're getting the marketing. We're sending emails, you can't assume they're getting the emails. You told them a week ago, you can't assume they remembered it. Yeah. You gotta tell them seven times, you gotta yeah. 
what was it again? A disgusting amount. A disgusting of amount of communication. You guys are gonna be hearing that a lot <laughs> moving forward. And I also so be a pro. Disgusting amount of communication. Yeah. Was the other one. Not a hobby. Not a hobby. You know, leadership is influence. But I, I do think that uh, uh, you know you can also put the disclaimer out there. Hey, at the risk of of annoying you, I just want to make sure you got that email. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and you know, there, there's you got to have a relational IQ as you lead people and as you work with people. You know, you can. You can really say the same thing two different ways. You can email that person back with a passive aggressive tone. Did you get the email with seven question marks? You know, people don't want to follow that. Yeah. They're just going to unwillingly have to go along and say, well, I hate that guy, but he's my boss. Yeah. Uh, but the other option is to say, you know, hey, at the risk of, of being you know, overly communicative, did you, did you get the email? Just hadn't heard back from you yet. Thanks. You know, smiley face. <laughs> you know, people tend to want to follow someone who's relational who's outgoing, who's upbeat, who's personable. I know salespeople tend to be that. That's why you're in the role you're in and why you're good at what you do. Uh, but uh, I think that's so important. And um, you know, I, I will also say, speaking to salespeople specifically, you guys are the engine. You guys are the engine for companies. I mean, not just in this space of, of loans and mortgages and Quicken Loans, but in, in companies in general, salespeople are the ones who bring home the bacon and make things happen. And uh, I don't say that to to pat you on the back so much that you walk away with pride. Uh, but I think when you recognize that and then in humility say, boy, you know, I've got to do this to help elevate the people around me because at the end of the day, the salespeople are winning, the company's winning. Yeah. And, uh, and to say, boy, that's, that's a privilege and a responsibility that I want to make sure uh, I deliver for those people around me in other roles in accounting and human resources, doing other you know, worthwhile things for the company. I want to make sure that I deliver in sales such that those people are able to be elevated in, in their lives as well and go home to their families and show their families what they're doing because of what you're able to do as salespeople. It's beautiful pressure. Yeah. Wouldn't want it any sure other way. It's just like quarterbacking. Yep. <laughs> yep. What else? What other questions? Mike. Can we get a mic for Mike? <laughs> Pun intended. All right, we got a mic over here. Mike, you'll be up in a second with the mic. So we showed earlier how many new faces there are in our company. We, you just went through the draft not too long ago. How do you maintain a culture with such an infusion of new people yeah. so that Question. you can all be on one page, all yeah. moving forward to one goal? Well, it's a huge challenge. And uh, frankly, it's something that at Michigan State you didn't really have to deal with. While you did bring in 20 new freshmen every year, you had 70 players who were coming back. And so you were able to maintain a culture and a message. Uh, but you know, we have to communicate what's critical to winning day in and day out, year in and year out, so that it becomes very clear. And quite frankly, when, you're, when your best players are your best leaders, it really helps. Because the rookies come in and they look at, okay, who's most highly paid? Who's been the most successful? Who's gone to Pro Bowls? Who's won playoff games? I want to be like those guys. And if those guys are jerks, it's going to be really, really hard to create a winning culture. But if those guys do things the right way, come in early, stay late, treat people well, you know, look around and say how they can impact other people. Uh, you know, that's how you can kind of, without saying a word, the young players naturally are going to gravitate towards those people because they've had success and that's where they want to go. And so they're going to find how they can be like those people. And so if I'm a general manager assembling a team, I'm trying to find my best players, guys who are also great people. Yeah. And I, I know I'm not going to get 53 A-plus players and people, but my five or six who are really you know, the ones going to the Pro Bowl and making a real difference. I want to make sure they're not just great players, but that they're great people because they set the tone for the rest of the, of the team. Yeah. We talk as a leadership team, I mean, there's nothing more important than our best salespeople yeah. being the best culture fits and the best leaders. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than having our best salespeople 
Mm. You know, it's mm. not follow and, and then, not lead and not and then and just because it's could be detrimental. It, 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 so. It's not realistic to have eight players in every role. It's not realistic in pro football. It's not realistic in business. It's not realistic in the nonprofit world to think that you're going to get, you know, eight players at every position. But you got to identify what are the half dozen to a dozen key positions that we can't afford to have a less than A player at. And let's make sure we get eight players in those positions. And if you do that, typically that sets the tone because speed of the leader, speed of the team. And so if you get eight players in that leadership role, if you got B's and C's behind them, you're going to elevate their status because of that A player driving the, driving the, uh, the race. So um, you have to identify what those roles are and make sure you get A players in those seats. And if you do that, uh, the B's and the C's players will, will follow suit. That's great. Mike? Mike with the mic. Yep. Eric, who is your most feared player on the defensive line <laughs> and your most feared in the secondary? Yeah. And then the really important question is, should I be drafting you in my fantasy league this year? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, fantasy football, the growth is unbelievable. Yeah. I'll see people who say, you know, they got a Packers or Lions decal on their cell phone, but they say, I had you on my fantasy team last year, you know, and so they're in my corner. It's amazing, and uh, it's really cool to see how much fun it's, it's given the fans to be able to follow the league in that way and really be a general manager, if you will, assembling their own team. And yeah, I mean, I got to believe in myself, right, and say that you should pick me. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I've done a pretty good job the last few years helping out fantasy teams. At least that's what people tell me when yeah. I bump into them on the street. So uh, that, that's got to count for something, right? You know, if I never win a Super Bowl, hopefully I could help a fantasy team here or there uh, win, win their Super Bowl. But... Uh, you know, most feared defensive player, you know, I often get the question, what's the biggest hit you've ever taken? I actually have to go back to college. We played Alabama in a bowl game. And I'll tell you what, that guy must remember the game. <laughs> but I look back on the game with the same kind of laugh. Uh, you know, it was funny to think we had a chance going into the game because the reality is we did. And if you've seen the movie Space Jam with the Looney Tunes and the monsters, <laughs> yeah, we were the Looney Tunes and they were the monsters and we didn't have Michael Jordan. So uh, it wasn't good. But uh, yeah, we, we call it late in the game. We call the seven-step drop. We're down about 49 nothing, and, uh, and a guy named Courtney Upshaw beats our left tackle and literally puts his helmet right in the middle of my back, and I'm holding the ball, of course, looking the other way. And if you've seen the movie The Blind Side, well, he came around the blind side. And uh, so I'm looking this way, and he's coming from this way and puts his helmet right in my back, and I do one of these and fumble. And it's, I mean, it's like being in a high-velocity car accident is really what it's like. And uh, my back still hurts when I swing a golf club from that day. So, um, you know, you try to be uh, smart. And ever since then, I've taken great time and effort to prepare to understand my protections so that I know where my issue is. I know where he's coming and I make sure that I can chuck and duck before they hit me. So, uh, you know, I, I try to make sure that uh, I protect my job security and my health by knowing where those 11 guys are on defense and making sure I don't have that happen again. But those hits are a part of the game. It's a risk you take. You sign up for it and uh, you train your body to be able to absorb them and know that it's a part of the deal. But uh, certainly a, uh, you know, not the, not the most fun part of the job is knowing that every time you come to Ford Field and play, you know, I'm probably going to get my face ripped off a couple times here and I just got to, got to deal with it. It's good. What else? What other questions? Yeah, right here in the middle. We're bringing the mic to you. A lot of different leaders and coaches and that, and star players. What's one good quality that you've seen in them? And what's a quality you've seen in people that didn't succeed? 
because yeah. we could use that in life or business, yeah. but something you've seen that like, wow, this guy does it, he does sure. it, and they continue to win. Well, Mike Shanahan really stands out to me as um, probably the greatest football coach I've ever had. And um, what was interesting that Mike did with me is he empowered me. Uh, I came in as a fourth round pick, uh, really didn't know where my career was going to go. If you had told me, Kirk, you're going to play seven or eight years and be a backup the entire time, I would have said, great. I mean, that's a really cool thing to be a professional athlete and, uh, and, and to be able to you know, be in the NFL for that long. But Mike set the bar so much higher for me. He saw potential and, uh, and he, he instilled belief in me. He would call me into his office and say, you know, Kirk, uh, I watched you the way you played in the preseason game the other night in the second half when nobody cares about the second half of a preseason game. And yet Mike would call me in and say, even as a backup, I, I just think you're doing a really good job and you did this really well and keep playing. And I remember uh, one time um, uh, I was in the, the, the restroom of the Redskins facility and the head coach walks in. And just standing there in the restroom, he pulls me aside and says, Kirk, I really think someday you can be a Drew Brees. You know, obviously you're a backup right now, a fourth round pick. Nobody even knows who you are, but you can be Drew Brees. If you just keep working, keep grinding, keep studying a guy like that, I see no reason why you can't be there someday. And so I left that restroom that day saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase after that. You know, and he really empowered me and, and spoke belief into me and and did exactly what I was saying. He encouraged me and he challenged me to, to reach higher. And uh, you better believe I was going out to practice that day, fired up to go work and be on the scout team and just be a backup. I was fired up. I was fired up to stay late and study Drew Brees' tape because Mike had cast a vision for me and encouraged me. Um, but that takes energy, you know, to call somebody in and take time out of all the to-dos he had as a head coach to sit down with a guy for three, five minutes and just kind of encourage him, especially a guy who's a backup who's not even going to directly help your team that following week. That takes time and energy and thinking outside the box, but he did that and it's made all the difference for me. Yeah. We're in Detroit and I think Henry Ford said, I don't know, I'm going to butcher this, but like if you think you can do it, right. you think you can't yeah. do it. Whether you think you can or can't think, do it, you're right. 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 You know, and the same thing goes with leaders is like when they, when they have people, salespeople, the, the great leaders I've worked with, like this guy's going to be awesome. You're like, really? Really? No, this guy's <laughs> going to be awesome. Yeah. Or you have a leader like, this guy's a little shaky. Yeah. Either way, it's, and same thing with our salespeople. Yeah. Hey, this is going to be a great partnership is something we right. say, even when maybe it's not the most potential, but if you believe it, we have a, if you'll see it when you believe it. Absolutely. And we try to identify strengths and make the weaknesses irrelevant. So if I see a player who I say, hey, he can be a, a top receiver in the league someday, and you say, really? I don't, I don't know. I don't think he's fast enough. Yeah. It's like, well, he may never be fast enough to, to, to do that on his speed alone, but let's accentuate his strengths. He's a really smart player. Let's use his intelligence to our advantage, and then let's make that weakness of a lack of speed, let's put him in a position where that's irrelevant. Yeah. You know, and let's set him up to be successful, put him in a position where his strengths can shine through. And uh, I think that's so important as a leader to find that. It's everything. All right. Time for a few Question more. back yes. here. So if you can kind of go back to when you were at uh, Michigan State in the quarterback competition and kind of paint a picture of what that was like, some of the mindset you yeah. had back in that time, and did that develop any habits for you? Yeah. And you still use them and tap into them today. Well, the competition was tough because we're on the same team. And so internal competition is especially difficult, you know, far more difficult than external competition. It's easy to want to go beat Michigan or Ohio State, but to want to beat, beat out someone who's on your own team creates a really unique dynamic, dynamic. And frankly, as a coach, it's not something I want to create over and over again. I'd like to have the internal competition be somewhat eliminated so that guys aren't 
you know, fighting one another within the locker room. So I, it was so important to compete in a way that didn't hurt the team and that you handled it in a way diplomatically and with grace and with humility that, that kept the chemistry on the team as strong as it could possibly be. So that was the first focus. And then secondly, understanding that he's going to push me and I'm going to push him. And while this is uncomfortable and there's tension here, this is, this is in, in the long run a good thing. And it's a healthy thing. And it's forcing me to be at my best. And I'm going to be a better quarterback because of this competition in the long run. And so I tried to remember that as I went through it. And uh, it wasn't easy. Believe me, I don't really want to go back to those days. You know, I like being a starting quarterback, walking into the room, and everybody knows he's our guy, and he's not in some direct competition daily. I, I'm still competing. Believe me, I'm being measured against the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL, and if I'm not at that level, I'm going to be gone. So there's always competition. But when it's right there in the same room, it can be, you know, a really tough dynamic on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's a part of our business and one that, that you accept and do the best you can. That's great. We got time for one more. Muskin. Kirk, who are some of your mentors that you've leveraged throughout your career and yeah. how have they impacted you? Yeah. We have a lot of new people here and sure. a lot of people reaching out and forming mentorships. And it's great. Who, who are yours? Well, you know, my dad and my mom obviously have had a huge, huge impact on me, but I think that's the case for most people. Um, going beyond that, what's interesting is when I signed with the Redskins, okay, I was a fourth round pick. And when you're drafted, you have a set contract such that uh, you have a, a salary, an annual salary every year, and then you get a signing bonus. So when you sign the contract, just based off of the slot you were given, you're entitled to a check. Well, where I was picked, that check was larger than I realized. It was about $400,000. So I'm going from scrambling together 10 bucks after a game at Michigan State to be able to go to the movies that night, you know, asking my parents for money on their way out of town, to a check for $400,000. I didn't know what to do with it. And I called my dad. I said, Dad, what do you do with $400,000? You know, I, I know what to do with four, but 400,000, what do you do? It's a great problem. He, yeah. said, he said, Kirk, I've never had $400,000. I don't know. <laughs> and he, it led to a larger conversation where he said, Kirk, you know, I've been able to help coach you in, in my line of work through leadership, culture building, and a lot of the things that I've shared today come directly from, from the mouth of my dad. But he said, Kirk, when it comes to how to invest, how to steward your wealth, how to, how to give at that level. He said, I can't speak from a place of experience. I think it's, it would be smart for you to go find other people. And so that led me on a quest to go back to my hometown and look at some of the business leaders in my community and some of the guys who have done it well at a high level with a high level of integrity and to reach out to them and say, hey, can you give me some counsel here? Can you point me to the right people? Can you steer me in this direction? Because I, I need some other, some other mentors. And quite frankly, while they've enjoyed that mentoring process, they weren't going to come to me. You know, I had to go to them. And I look back now and I think, boy, as much as I have great parents helping me, where would I be without the counsel I've been given over the last seven years with how to steward the wealth that's come in and, and how to you know, have, be successful in business and in some other entrepreneurial things we're trying to do. So I'm so grateful for those mentors, but I had to go seek them out and find them. And I think it's an honor. I think as, as someone to, to receive that, to say, hey, I want to learn from you. you. You've gone places that I want to go. Can you help me get to where I want to go? I think it's an honor to receive that ask, and I think people ultimately would, would love to be able to help. That's great. Well, we appreciate your time, man. This is very Thrilled impactful. to be here. Thanks for your questions. A lot of Outstanding takeaways. questions. And um, we wish you luck on every week but two of them <laughs> next year. And uh, thanks, man. That's awesome. great. Appreciate yeah. you. Thank you. All the best going forward. Thank you.